Greetings, BT Focus listeners. So, what does spotty Wi-Fi and a Nobel Prize winner have in common? You'll find out next on this Values Edition of the BT Focus Podcast. Welcome to the BT Focus Podcast, dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Hello and welcome back to a May Values episode of the BT Focus Podcast. We've got two great returning guests, Mr. Dan Jones and Miss Victoria DeShazer. Guys, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Brian. Glad to be back. Of course, we were just having some really fun non-behavior analytic, a small talk beforehand, favorite podcasts, you name it. Um, I'm looking out my window. I, I don't see any snow. So I think knock on wood, we, we are officially in spring in the state of Michigan. Dan, what, what are we getting in Texas these days? What are, what's the lowdown? Uh, there's a lot of thunderstorms here. There was lightning hitting the building right next to my apartment last night, and my great Dane was petrified. So I was telling Victoria earlier, she has taken up spot underneath my desk, and I put blankets around it so that oh. it's kind of like this protection from the sound. A little fortress. Um, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, definitely a lot of rain here in Texas. Yeah, man. But I don't know about you. I just think going to bed to the sound of rain and a thunderstorm, oh, that's the stuff. That's just nice to fall asleep to. Um, well, we're not here to talk about thunderstorms. We're here to talk about our May core value of the month. So across the country, all of our clinical teams, behavior technicians, Centria, uh, supervising clinicians are talking about one of our core values. And this month's core value is on situational ownership. Okay, so we'll start as we always do with a definition and some words you could use to describe situational ownership. There's a lot to be said about each one of them. Here's a couple of words that we could use to describe it. You're problem solver, strategic thinker, you're accountable, and you make things personal. But before we get into any of those, let me pitch it to you first, Dan. Dan, what does the value of situational ownership mean to you in your work as a behavior technician? So as a behavior technician, one of the things that I have noted is that, especially if you're working in an in-home setting, and sometimes even in, in a center setting as well, you need to be very autonomous. So you need to be able to make a decision for yourself in that moment. You, you don't always have that support from your supervising clinician. So in that moment, it's really important for you to be able to take initiative. It's really important for you to be solution-oriented and come up with a plan in that moment to deal with whatever it might be because there's a lot coming at you. Uh, I had mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but it's stimulus overload for sure. So grounding yourself, knowing that your decisions come from your internal, instead of letting things in an external way shape you is really important as, as an RBT. Yeah. Really well said, Dean. You're right. Cause yeah, we, we practice under the close guidance of a clinical supervisor, but the practical reality is that doesn't mean that they're always there with you directly every single day, right? So it's important to know, you know, how am I following the plan? When do I need to reach out for support? And to your point, like when I'm making these uh, individual judgment calls, am I doing it in the, in the best uh, manner as well? So well said, Dan. Victoria, how about you? Situational ownership, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I really like what Dan said about the part about not allowing external factors 
affecting what you know internally is best practice. And I think that's what it comes down to is when you're making those individual judgment calls, it does come down to, am I doing it based on what I know is best practice, what I've learned in my training and what I've you know seen in the field and experienced and consulted with my supervising clinician. And so I definitely agree that especially being in a home environment where you may not have other technicians around you constantly and you are having to make those in the moment decisions, um, it is important to kind of remember that what I am doing is I'm working with a person who has behaviors. And a lot of times I think situational ownership comes up when we're dealing with maladaptive behavior specifically, because we can have a behavior appear that maybe we haven't seen before. And so there's no data on how to specifically address this behavior. But what we can do is make it personal. We can draw upon what we've seen in the past with different functions of behaviors that this client may have. And we can make a decision in the moment. And if it wasn't the right decision, if maybe we reinforced something that maybe we didn't mean to reinforce and later found out, oh, maybe we actually were reinforcing that behavior for it to occur more often, we can discuss that and take personal accountability like, oh, Maybe that wasn't the correct way to deal with that. But hey, I made a decision in the moment, what I thought was best practice, and that's okay. What I'm hearing a lot from both of your responses, it boils down a lot to accountability, right? And and taking ownership over that moment and those challenges. So now I switch gears a little bit, and this doesn't necessarily have to relate to clinical practice, but think about just your life experience. Have you ever been in a situation where um, you've needed something and there's been a lack of situational ownership by whomever that party is and how that made you feel. So let me give you an example. So uh, my wife and I, we moved earlier this year and I needed to set up Wi-Fi at our house like yesterday. Turns out Wi-Fi is kind of important when you work from home as I do. And so, yeah, I kind of learned like, yeah, that's kind of like not having running water. It's essential. And I, I think my Wi-Fi issues are maybe not fully resolved, but they're a lot better. And I remember having to reach out to to get it set up. And I was reaching out to our provider. I won't say who. And it was like the algorithm was wrong. I was like, text this number if you need help. And, and then it was rerouting me. And then I, I was texting again. I was getting rerouted. And it's like, won't somebody just help me, right? That sort of moment. And you know what? Finally, I got connected to somebody who, you know, was very apologetic. I'm sorry about the way. How can I help you? Let me direct you to the right person. Quickly and efficiently got me to the right person. They're out of my house same day. And the person follows up with me like, hey, I just wanted to see how the service was. Everything okay? Is there anything else I can do to help? And it was like, wow, like, that is customer service, right? And I think, and I've heard this said, and I've said it before, like clinical service at its core in a lot of ways is basic customer service. It's how we treat people. And as you said, Victoria, we're in the people business. We're dealing with people's children. We're dealing with young adults and we're dealing with people that have the same uh, wants and desires as we do. So how we take appropriate ownership over a moment is such a reflection of our clinical practice. And, and it really boils down to basic customer service in a lot of ways, right? So um, moving forward a little bit, what are some ways you can see other behavior technicians grow in the area of situational ownership? Maybe you're at a center, right? And you notice somebody that's that's struggling or having a hard time. Like, 
how can you empower others in the field to have a greater degree of situational ownership? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I think it goes back to having experiences and also not putting so much pressure on yourself as a branding technician. I like to say that um, our onboarding program is amazing. However, in the first six months, you're going to learn more than you did in your 40 hours because it is really an experience-based field that we work in because we are dealing with people and it's not always predictable on exactly what's going to happen when. So I think drawing upon experiences, I think the experiences of your supervising clinician I think drawing upon the data that is already present, specifically if it's been a client who's had services for a period of time, there should be some sort of data regarding typically like non-adaptive behaviors and things of that sort, or even trial-based things, there's a history there. Um, So I think drawing upon the tools that you already have at hand is going to be very helpful in you being able to determine what is best practice in that moment. So instead of you feeling as if you're in a silo or you're functioning by yourself, even though you may not have the input of your supervising clinician in the moment, or you may not have another technician right next to you to advise you on what to do, you do have experiences that data has been collected upon or conversations that you've had with your clinician in the past regarding different things about the client um, to where you can draw upon those and then make a decision and move forward. Awesome. Dan, anything you want to add to that? I, and I completely um, agree with what Victoria said as well. And just to bring us back to those experiences that we've had where individuals have taken situational ownership, I have an antithesis to your story. And this just happened this year where Texas got hit with this huge winter storm and nobody was expecting this. They should have been expecting it, but they weren't. And specifically, the responsibility fell on a company called Aircut. And I think that it's important to understand the difference between fault and responsibility, because even though the president and the CEO was not at fault for what had happened completely, he was responsible for it. So, of course, he was ousted in this situation. And I kind of think about it as well as a registered behavior technician. If we're fixating so much on the problem, sometimes we actually delay corrective action or we're inhibiting the learning process. And I think that, yes, as a registered behavior technician, there's a lot of problems that are going to come your way on a day-to-day basis. And as Victoria said, sometimes you do have to think in that moment about, okay, there's a behavior that just popped up and I've never seen this behavior before, not sure how to respond to it. It's not in the behavior intervention plan. What do I do, right? You can't just be like, all right, I'm done. I'm not responsible for this. Hey, hey, mom, dad, come take over. You, you can't do that. Or you call your supervising clinician and terminate the session. You can't do that. You're there. You have to take responsibility for that client. And that really is what makes a leader. They're owning that situation and they're making decisive action of how to respond to it. Yeah. Well, what I love about that, Dan, is that you really outlined one of the subcategories of this value, which is a problem solver. And Victoria, you said it well. There are going to be times where we could say the form or the topography of a behavior, what a behavior looks like is different. You could say, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Those things always seem to happen whenever supervision occurs. Like, I don't know, Brian showed up. I've never seen that happen before. And it just, I don't know what to do, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe it's me. I don't know. Um, But but how a 
behavior technician in RBT, one of the ways that they can be part of uh, a very situational ownership value-centered practice and be a good problem solver is through excellent data collection. We've said it many times. Our behavior technicians are the eyes and ears of the treatment team. If you see something that you're unsure of or that is novel or new, record data on it, right? What's the context? What's the setting event? What was the antecedent? What was the consequence? And from that, that's where you can come to your clinical supervisor and, and come up with a plan, come up with a strategy. So Data collection is key. It, it runs th through all of these discussions because that's one of the most important core responsibilities of a technician is to tell the story, to tell the story of what's occurring in session and when necessary, reach out. You know, I tell my, my team all the time, if there's times where you are unsure, that's why I'm here. So reach out to me and we can troubleshoot together. Our behavior technicians provide services in a number of different contexts. They could be in a community-based setting. They could be at a center. They could be in a home. They could be in a school. So the way in which we act upon situational ownership could vary based on the, the setting event and what's going on around you. So Victoria, you had a good comment about how that might play out in a home-based setting. Would you like to elaborate? Yeah, for sure. So Basically, when you're at the home, you're in a situation in which you may not have other people around to advise you. And you're also dealing with many factors, right? There can be other kiddos in the house. There can be pets in the house. There can be parents watching session in the same room or the room over. And then you're also doing trials and essentially teaching the skills that we need to be teaching. But amongst all of these things, now your client has decided that, hey, this is the behavior that I'm going to engage in. And it's not necessarily um, something that we are looking for in session at that point in time. And so now you are having to make a decision that you may not know in the moment if that is the perfect decision to be made. And that's okay. So as long as we're making a decision based on best practice, and we take the data, as Brian has mentioned, and then we can go forward and we can have the discussion with our supervising clinician on, hey, was this the best decision to be made in the moment? And what can I change moving forward? And that is the part where the problem solver comes in initially. And then that personal accountability comes in later on. And you're able to really own, this is the reason I made the decision. And this is the knowledge I had to make that decision. Um, and I think that's really important to go in with that confidence that, hey, I do have a skill set here that I know I have, and I can make a decision in the moment if that is required upon me, and it will be required. I agree with you, Victoria. Um, something that when you're in the situation and when you're in the home and when you're in this inter you can feel like an island sometimes and working with a kiddo and that, yeah, like Victoria said, uh, that a random behavior pops up that you've never seen before. Your supervising clinician is not going to swoop out of the sky like a hero. I mean, they are heroes, but they, that's impossible for them to do that. So you have to take control of the situation. And it's one of the, the things that I really enjoyed working with individuals on, especially when I was training them. I teach a, a, a safety care course called QBS. And one of the things that I noted is that whenever I was going at the end, we have chapter seven, 
we go through these mock situations where they have to pretend like they're in a real setting and respond to certain situations with their peers. One thing that I noticed is that I'd always be able to identify who the moms were because they were like taking that initiative. They were right on spot there. They'd be like, all right, you do this, you do that. You sit here, you sit there. Uh, nice, quiet hands. We're gonna have a quiet mouth. And I was like, okay, wait, wait a second. Are you a mom? And I'd always get like a, yeah. I'd be like, okay, look, taking initiative, taking control of that situation, even though there might be chaos going around you, making it personal and drawing on what you know and what you've learned so far is really important in the situation. And I like that. Taking that responsibility is something that I see as a leader. Owning that situation and knowing who you are on the inside is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the ownership piece and that personal accountability, that just comes with personal growth and development as well. Um, when you're part of a treatment team, that's built on a foundation of trust. And um, really, the way that we interact with one another, it's so important. So in, in the small things, in little ways, hey, Ryan, I hit traffic today. I'm going to be late. Thank you for letting me know. I'm I am more concerned that you're communicating with me and to the family than the fact that you're, you know, three and a half minutes late, right? Now, if I'm seeing consistently that you're three, four, five minutes late and you're not telling me, it's a bigger issue that you're not communicating rather than the mere fact of hit traffic, which we all do from time to time. So it it comes down to trust. It comes down to rapport. And what I love about this one is making it personal. I think we can be accountable in ways where we can make it personal, where we're saying, hey, you know, I'm going to give you some feedback. And this is feedback that was given to me, right? And so I'm going to, I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to share something that I'm sharing to support your growth and development. And feedback does not have to be this aversive event or anything like that. Like, what is feedback for our learners? It's just a prompt to help them towards a correct response. So none of us are perfect, myself included. And situational ownership is about um, how we can learn from past mistakes, how we can get better and how we can improve because improvement is the goal, right? Any final thoughts, Dan or Victoria, for this core value? Yeah. So one of the things that popped into my mind was a quote by Abraham Lincoln. Things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. So <laughs> one, one of the things that I really like about that is that creating this situational ownership around what you do as an RBT can drive results. And as you had mentioned, Brian, it can also help you help others. As a trainer, one of the things that I have noted is that I always draw on my past failures to help individuals avoid that mistake. And I always say, hey, um, so when I first started as a behavior technician, this is what I would do. I want you to avoid that and go around that. So taking situational ownership in that situation is being able to know that you are going to make mistakes. And learning from those mistakes shape us more than if we weren't to make those mistakes. Most people don't learn a lot when they do something right. They're just like, oh, yeah, I did it. Good. I can move on. But as soon as they do something wrong, it really reverberates within them. And they start thinking about, okay, what could I have done better? What could I do different? And that's really what shapes us as human beings. That's my final thought for situational ownership. Beautifully said, Dan. I'm going to attribute a quote to someone that I, I don't 
recall who this thinker was, but their quote was this. I no longer lose. I either win or I learn. And I just thought that that's beautiful. What final thoughts do you have, Victoria? Yeah, those are great. This is hard to follow up on, man. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) I just have to say, I completely agree with you guys. I was going to go in the same direction as, you know, you will make mistakes. You'll make mistakes as a new technician. You'll make mistakes as a technician who's been in the field for three and a half, four years. Mistakes will happen again. Why? Because we're dealing with behaviors. We're dealing with people. We're in the people business. And that's okay. As long as we're moving forward and learning from those mistakes and we understand what may have been the better path to take and we're changing our behavior moving forward, I think that's the most important part. So yes, we will learn from our mistakes, but also know that, hey, moving forward is a really important part of that process as well. Don't be fixated on, I made this mistake. Be more fixated on what did I learn from this and what can I apply in the future? Absolutely. Beautifully said, Victoria. And I just looked it up. So that quote is by Nelson Mandela. So I'm going to end on the words of the great Nelson Mandela. I will not top that. So I just want to say thank you again, as always, to Dan and Victoria. You guys are such a pleasure to talk to and keep up the amazing work you're doing. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the BT Focus podcast. As we learn more about the stories and the science behind applied behavior analysis. 